Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash, making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no Jam football. Welcome to Escaping Society, episode 16, Earthing. My name is Gumby. And I'm Teresa. We are, it is a chilly, rainy day in the surprisingly large state of Maine as we're making our way back down um, across the Great Lakes and back down south through New England. Um, so we're talking about basically the word earthing is a fancy way of seeing, saying being barefoot. Um, and I use the, the word earthing kind of tongue in cheek and we'll talk more about like where that comes from, but yeah, just, we wanted to talk about, um, being barefoot and how that also helps us escape society. Um, I go barefoot as much as I can. And I guess Teresa does too, maybe not quite as much as me, (laughs) but, uh, people often ask me for some reason, this is a question that comes up a lot. A person will stop and look at my bare feet and say, how long have you been going barefoot? And uh, it took me a while to figure out what to say to that, but uh, my favorite response lately has been, I was born barefoot. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love being barefoot. Um, the word earthing is a book. Um, I think it's like called Earthing, like the greatest discovery ever or something like that. It's a book by Clinton Ober. And if I remember right, it's been a while since I read this book. I was going barefoot on a meetup walk one time and somebody said, oh, do you do earthing? And I was like, what's earthing? And you know, they said there was a book written on it, so I looked it up and read it. And uh, he was apparently, if I remember, a cable repairman or something like that. Somebody who had knowledge of, like, grounding electrical currents and things like that. And he started noticing some strange things about shoes. He got on a big uh, kick, a big interest in how shoes affect us. Um, he started thinking about insulation and how around the 1950s, when rubber and plastic started really um, becoming prolific in our culture, that we had shoes that suddenly were insulating us from the ground current. Um, and he thinks there's a correlation between a lot of illnesses that started popping up around then. I'm not sure how I f- feel about that because around that same time, World War II was coming to an end, so chemicals were also getting inundated into our culture. But he focused on this electrical current, this this energy that's in the earth, and I do believe there's an energy in the earth. Um, so he started experimenting with all these things like running a wire from the ground to like specially made mattresses that can conduct this current. Um, And eventually it even evolved into these earthing shoes, which I think are just ridiculous. Um, (laughs) Because you know what earthing is? It's going barefoot. So some people apparently are paying like big money to get these shoes that have like one little uh, 
spot on the soul that conducts electricity so they can like get the electrical benefit of going barefoot. Um, to me, that's just another way of co-opting an idea, an old idea, cashing in on a fad. Um, but I found the book interesting. You know, if you go barefoot and you're interested in going barefoot, um, Clinton, Clinton Ober, O-B-E-R, Earthing. It's, it's an interesting read. Um, another thing I didn't really like about this book is it reads sort of like a sales pitch. I mean, I got done with this book and I was like, wow, if you go barefoot, you like never get sick. You could lift a car. <laughs> it just sounds like, you know, it goes on and on about all the things going barefoot does for you. Well, I've been going barefoot my whole life and, uh, I get health problems. I've got a like bad back. I've got, you know, it, it has not saved me from, uh, <laughs> what would I say? The, the toils and trials of life, but I still really love going barefoot. Um, there's this story I encountered. Um, I always want to say it's from Tibet, but I don't really know. I think it's somewhere from the Buddhist tradition. But it's a story about a king before there were shoes. And it's the story of kind of how shoes came to be. And this king, he wanted the whole world covered in leather because he kept walking around barefoot and hurting his feet. So he got all of his his uh, subjects and all the people in the kingdom to start just making leather. And so to get that much leather, they had to kill a lot of animals. So it started, you know, just this big slaughter of the animals to make all this leather to cover every bit of ground. And of course, the ground covered with leather started killing the plants. Um, it just was the beginning of this massive ecological collapse. And so the people were suffering, even though now they can finally walk around with the ground covered with leather and not hurt their feet. Um, until one day, one of the wise men pointed out, you know, sire, why don't we just cover your feet with leather <laughs> instead of the entire earth? And thus was the beginning of shoes. Mm. Now I tried to look that up. I, I don't remember where I encountered that story. I could not find any information on it on short notice, getting ready for this podcast. I did find this quote by Shantideva. Shantideva? Shantideva. 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 Will you say that? Shanti Deva. Okay, yeah, let's pretend like I said that. So this quote says, Where would there be leather enough to cover the entire world? With just the leather of my sandals, it is as if the whole world were covered. Likewise, I am unable to restrain external phenomenon, but I shall restrain my own mind. What need is there to restrain anything else? So I feel like that quote kind of sums up the story I was just relating. Um, You know, this whole idea of like, and we're going to talk more about how everything is enacting a philosophy, including going barefoot. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you relate to the world, and thus, especially from the Buddhist perspective, your own mind. Um, but I love that idea of, you know, we try to change things. We're always trying to change the external world to, to suit our needs. I feel like that's rampant in our culture. Um, and as Shantideva, Shantideva, Shantideva? Okay, as he pointed out, um, (laughs) that so much of that is how we respond to it, how much we react to it. So if we we work on our own minds, our own reactions, there's a lot less that needs to be changed out there. It's a beautiful, big world full of subtleties and diversity. And if we want everything to be just our favorite thing all the time, we're going to run into trouble for so many reasons. Because, of course, it's not everybody else's favorite thing all the time. So we have conflict. Um, but yeah, I I really love that story. So we'll start talking about, um, shoes. 
before we get into bare feet, just kind of the history of shoes. And one, and in addition to that story, one of the, the books I found that was really interesting was The Sex Life of the Foot and Shoe by William A. Rossi. Um, this had a lot of interesting information I hadn't run into before. He talks about, among other things, um, the Chinese practice of foot binding, having a lotus foot. So this was a big thing in China, less so now, but women would start having their feet bound, like tied in such a way that they kind of folded over to the extent that they couldn't even walk sometimes. Walking was very hard for them. They'd have to do these little tiny prissy little steps because they could barely walk, and this was considered really sexy. Now, you might think, who the hell would do that? But if you live in a culture where that's kind of your only way to get a husband, or that's one of the better ways to get a husband, you know, if you're doing that, you're like, whoa, you're supermodel hot. And if you're somebody that just has plain old feet, you're like, eh, plain Jane, you know, you're always, your husband's always kind of noticing the woman with the, the bound feet. You can imagine the pressure and the benefits from participating in this courtship ritual. So from the outside, it seems really barbaric, but I like the way he wrote this book because he he was sympathetic. He was like, you know, get inside the mindset of this time and this culture. You know, to them, it wasn't barbaric. Some people might think that high heels are barbaric. Well, yeah, that's actually brought up in this book. Um, but another thing about this lotus foot is because they never walked on it, their feet were extremely soft. And they compared them to like the labia of a vagina. And so it was like another common practice that these these lotus feet that they could barely walk on, they would actually give foot jobs to their husbands, oh like God. just wrap their feet around the guy's cock. And you know, I mean, you know, I won't go into the details, but <laughs> this was something really sought after at this time in China to have a woman that could do that. Um, I found that interesting. And another thing brought up in this book was how footwear has been tied into sexiness. Um, you know, there's the simple footwear, like we talked about covering your foot in leather, the basic moccasin, the basic sandal. But then as our culture started uh, progressing, started uh, becoming more civilized, as we call it, these shoes started getting more and more elaborate. Men started having these pointy shoes. And when you see the modern the, the cowboy boot, this is still a memory of the shoe. There's no like big advantage to having a pointy-toed cowboy boot. But this was a time in Europe when these shoes would get so long and phallic that they would curve around. They'd be like little elf <laughs> shoes. And it was meant to provoke an idea of um, this is the size of my penis. You know, like I'm a very <laughs> prolific man. Look at this big pointy shoe. And women would look at that shoe and I go, oh, gosh, you know that's a that's a big pointy shoe. It's, it's girthy. Say, you know what they say about men with big pointy shoes? Yeah, and that brings up another point. <laughs> I mean, most of us have heard like a guy with big feet, you know, that old stereotype. That's not true. Well, <laughs> I'll let Teresa talk more. Would you like to talk more about that? No. Okay. Um... But yeah, and women would have these sandals and like they had pictures of some of these sandals throughout history and they'd have these little tufts on them, like little pubic tufts on them. And they were meant to look very vaginal to like you'd look at a woman's foot and like, oh, damn, that that's a hot shoe, you know. And there was even like some cases in the book where women had gotten raped 
I think there was a case from this country. A woman, woman had gotten raped, and they discovered that she was hanging out with this bunch of guys with her feet uncovered, barefoot. And the judge declared, like, well, she kind of had it coming. She was oh asking for it, was the attitude of the time. But, you know, the injustice of that aside, consider the the sexuality of the foot, that somebody would even think that. It seems ridiculous to most of us, but we're all around this culture that thinks of feet as very sexy, and it's not without precedent. Turns out the foot has more nerves in it than, I think, if not any other part of the body, most other parts of the body. It's full of nerve endings. So these foot fetishists, um, I was teaching Teresa how to make this shoe called a Wadaji we'll talk more about later. But I posted a picture on Facebook and some random guy, I don't know how he found the picture, like wanted more pictures of Teresa's feet. That was kind of my big, <laughs> big experience like, with a foot fetishist. My feet are not good looking either. <laughs> well, it was a pretty hot picture. I'll, I'll say yeah. that. There was a lot of leg in that picture too. Mm. But, uh, and I thought that guy was a freak and maybe he was a freak, but it turns out there's more of a precedent for that than I realized at the time. And, uh, oh, the joys of recording this by a rest area next to a busy road. Logging road, no less. Lots of loggers. Um, yeah, so there's that whole thing, the evolution of the, the shoe. And you can still see that represented, that shoes are considered a very sexy thing. And another thing they talked about I didn't know was during the Civil War was when we first started having left and right shoes. So before that, you could just grab any shoe and put it on any foot. This left and right shoe thing is a pretty recent thing. Like, what would that be, 150 years old or so. Um, so yeah, I know I'm, I'm not remembering a lot of things in this book, but it was a very interesting read. Sex Life of the Foot and Shoe by William A. Rossi. I think you were reading that book the first summer we were together. Yeah, I think I was. And you were taking it to the kids' summer camps. Mm-hmm. And I was concerned <laughs> about you reading that book near the kids. Yeah, luckily that did not come up as a problem. But um, Now, the Wadaji I mentioned. Okay, so going back to earthing, you know, that the idea that you want to be in contact with this earth energy. Now, I don't know anything about the electrical energies of the earth, but I do believe there's the earth is alive. I believe in this, this Gaia idea, this great mystery, the spirit that moves in all things. There's a life force in the earth. Um, and I think it is beneficial to be connected to that. We all know that there's electricity in the earth. If you have electricity to your house, that's why there's a copper cable stuck in the ground to ground it. Um, there's a exchange of electricity from the earth. And if you study how lightning works, you know, this is not a mystical new age idea. This is uh, a scientific understanding of our earth. Um, lightning is connected to the earth. It's not just something that comes randomly out of the sky and hits a very neutral earth. Um, it's a reciprocal thing between the Earth and the atmosphere and the magnetic field around the Earth um, that protects us from the sun's radiation. So there's all these invisible energies, these electromagnetic energies. So it makes sense to me that going barefoot, not being insulated, touching this Earth has got to have some effect. Um, to me, that's just common sense. Now, I'm not the type of guy to run out and get one of these damn shoes that are one of these earthing shoes. But I did find um, the shoe called a Wadaji. I think it's traditionally from Japan, um, and they would make it with rice straw, but it's a very simple weave. It's a sandal, and because it's often made with natural material, it conducts this electricity. 
you it's the same as going barefoot as far as the energy goes but your foot's protected um i learned it teresa actually found this for me as i was looking up ways to make shoes and there's this guy he calls himself the urban abo i hope you can find him that way if you can't and you're interested in this contact us i'll try to help you more but he teaches how to make this and i was so excited to learn how to make my own shoes now, depending on what you make it out of, I've made it out of baling twine, plastic baling twine that you find on the side of the road. That is plastic, so it's a insulator. It does not conduct this electricity. Um, so, you know, it can either be an earthing shoe or not, depending on the material. But it's really exciting to make these odaji, to make your own shoes and wrap it around your wrist and uh, the tradition, your your Ankle. ankles, yeah. Your lower wrists. Yeah, don't don't wrap it around your wrist. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you make these things and traditionally your toes hang over it. So it's kind of like a shoe for your, the pad of your foot, but not your toes. So your toes still touch the ground. Um, I thought that would be really weird, but it turns out to be super comfortable. It feels like you got a big hobbit foot, Mm -hmm. like your foot feels really tough. You can feel all the nuances of the ground, but you're protected from it. Um, yeah, it's just a wonderful thing. I'd encourage anybody if you're into weaving or if you're into being barefoot and you'd like to be barefoot more, Make a set of these wadaji. And I love going in a store with these wadaji because uh, <laughs> it's like not kind of the culturally accepted shoe. So people look at it. Some people compliment you on it. You can see some of the store managers and things sort of twitch like, is this okay? His toes are touching the floor. <laughs> you know, like we got a rule about that. I, I it didn't specific, specify the toes. I don't know what to do about this. <laughs> so I love kind of skirting the line with these wadaji. Um, you got anything you want to add? Teresa made a pair of wadaji. Oh, I liked them too. Um, yeah, hopefully, uh, maybe we could somehow make a, like a list of the things that we talk about, especially the Urban Abo guy, because he had a lot of interesting videos um, to use skills from the original like indigenous peoples. Maybe, but I think this is kind of it. If we don't get around to it, we're telling you, Urban Abo, check that out. <laughs> Um, but I don't know that there's much more we can add to that. But he's got a lot of videos on a lot of stuff. Um, and he also teaches this other style. I think he calls it a Zori. And by the way, these words are really fun to say because the R, you kind of like touch the tongue to the top of the mouth. So I love saying Waraji and Zori. Um, just a fun word. Zori is more like a flip-flop. covers your entire foot. And it's the same style. You just sort of turn it backwards. You'd have to see the video to really know what I'm talking about. One more book um, I want to talk about. And that's kind of my whole spiel about shoes right there. Um now let's get into the bare feet. There is a book. I got curious about just what people were writing about bare feet after the earthing book. So I started looking up like anything about bare feet. And, you know, I mentioned those two books, Earthing and The Sex Life of the Foot and Shoe. I especially recommend The Sex Life of the Foot and Shoe. Really interesting. One book that I ran into was called Barefoot Running by Michael Sandler. And his wife helped him write it too. And this is another thing that's like, Taking bare feet, you know, I think of Opie going down to the fishing hole, the, the, you know, fishing pole, and he's just walking barefoot. It's not a big deal. You just go barefoot, you know. It's something that in the Old South, especially, you know, like, especially a lot of the uh, the African Americans, you know, it was considered like just, I guess, slaves went barefoot a lot, and white people went barefoot a lot. And I think because of that, maybe there there got to be a shame built up around that, that it was considered like you're poor or something if you're barefoot. But it was no big deal. You just kind of, you roll with it. Um, Can I add something right quick? Yeah. 
right quick. <laughs> right quick. Uh, I was reading a book and it had letters from uh, people during the Great Depression. And something that Gumby and I do was also done during times when people were uh, saving money and, and trying to save their shoes. And that is wherever we can, if we need to carry our shoes, we do that or we just leave them in the van or, or somewhere because we really only need them when we're going into a business that requires them. Um, and I would also say bathrooms because I think bathrooms inside are gross. But uh, your shoes could be like the soles of the shoes could be saved just like in the Great Depression, just by carrying your shoes with you instead of wearing them everywhere. Only use them when you need them. Yeah, and I will say I haven't made a pair of Wadaji in a while because we actually dumpster dive flip-flops. Um, <laughs> like a whole bag of them. Yeah, so necessity is not kind of prompting me to make these shoes. Even though they're fun, I should get around to it anyway. But uh, but that's generally like I can get away with flip-flops through most times of the year because I just use them to go in places. If it's cold, um, I'll get a big, thick pair of wool socks and uh, you know wear my flip-flops as well. Only About the only time I don't wear flip-flops is when it's really rainy or snowy. Um, being in North Carolina, most of the time we don't encounter a lot of snow, but yeah, that's when I whip out the boots. And another thing that I, I'd like to kind of steer people towards is Thomas J. L. Pell. He talks about how to make this shoe. He struggled for a long time because he was making moccasins, but they'd wear out so damn quick. So he found that when he went out in the woods for a survival trip, he was spending all of his time making another pair of moccasins. He'd have to carry two or three pair. So he wanted a way to improve it. And he found that he could find um, tire treads, old tires, before the steel belts were added to them and make a sole, a sandal, kind of like a keen sandal. And coupled with a thick wool sock or with a moccasin, um, they would last a long time. Like think of this, this tire tread that's made to last for the weight of a vehicle, how long that would last your foot. He lives in Montana, Thomas J. L. Pell, the, the writer of Botany in a Day and Participating in Nature. I don't know if they find older tires out there more often than I do. I've been looking for that ever since I read that several years ago, and I just don't find those tires. Everything I find has steel-belted radials in it. So keep that in mind if you're in a place that you're lucky enough to find this kind of tire. You can make an awesome, long-lasting shoe. And, of course, going back to the earthing, because it's rubber, it's going to be insulated. But it's going to last you a long time, and it's free. It's a skill. It helps you be more self-sufficient and is one more step, haha, because we're talking about feet, in escaping society. So this book, Barefoot Running by Michael Sandler, um, yeah, like I was saying, it's just kind of a making a thing out of being barefoot. Like he even has all this stuff about how to warm up to being barefoot, like, you know, this whole routine and I don't want to talk too much crap about it. Somebody that's gone barefoot my whole life, I thought it was stupid. I just really, like, it rubbed me the wrong way. But if you've never gone barefoot, and when you go barefoot, bad things happen. You just feel like you can't do it. And this book helps you, great. You know, if that's what helps you connect more to the earth, get out there and not need your shoes so much, maybe it helps. Maybe I'm just not the target audience. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there as one more thing that I had uh, – encountered as I was I was reading about bare feet and this barefoot running he's talking about taking off your shoes and running outside and all the health benefits again like Clinton Ober you know you could lift a car after doing this um you're gonna live to be 110 you just run along the trails barefoot now I've run along trails barefoot 
myself, and I highly encourage it. And maybe one day I will lift a car when I'm 110. But, Teresa, I think you wanted to talk a little bit more about trail running. Yeah, I um, I went to a workshop through REI. It was a free workshop because I don't like to pay for stuff. And they were talking, I think, to an audience of people so that they could get them to buy these certain type of outdoor shoes so you could do the trail running activity. Kind of like making a thing out of just running on natural surfaces versus paved. I don't know. But because I wasn't buying shoes, what I really wanted to know is were there any techniques that could be used with bare feet, because I didn't read the barefoot running book, um, that could help me? And I didn't necessarily want to run, but just to move a little bit faster or more easily with my bare feet. And the two things that I remember that were pretty helpful to me were, were um, one, your center of gravity. And we'll talk a little bit more about that with uh, the, the type of form that you can walk in, um, fox form. But basically, your center of gravity is over your hips. It's not forward. Um, and then the other piece of information that was helpful was when you're moving, whether you're walking or running, whatever pace you're moving, you look for the places that don't have the obstacles. Don't look for the obstacles because more often than not, when you're looking at the things that you're going to trip over, you'll trip over them. So look for the blank spaces. And in this workshop, because we were inside an REI, uh, the person teaching kind of put down different obstacles and then we would practice our form of running with our center of gravity over our hips and avoiding the obstacles by looking for the spaces between where we could put our feet. Um, but I, I thought that that was kind of an interesting uh, workshop to go to, especially as I was exploring moving more with bare feet, especially walking as fast as Gumby does. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, going barefoot, I've been talking until now about, like, earthing, um, which I don't know much about. I don't really have a lot to contribute to that other than saying it was an interesting thing and recommending the book. Now, here's what I love about going barefoot. Um, often, uh, I've done camps in the past, and I'll go barefoot, often which breaks the rules of the camp. And when I have somebody tell me, you need to tell those kids to put shoes on and you need to wear shoes, I tell them I'm here to help kids connect with the earth and to insist that kids wear shoes like the earth is a dangerous thing just goes against what I'm trying to do here. So that's a rule I break routinely. I tell kids, you know, when you're around the office, like wear the shoes. Other than that, you can go barefoot and I encourage it. What I tell them when they ask me why I go barefoot, where's my shoes, is I tell them that everything we do enacts a philosophy. So we can either examine that or be blind to it, but it doesn't change the fact that when you drive a car, when you brush your teeth, everything you do, the way you do it, is bringing a story to life, is, an, is enacting a philosophy. So consider a shoe. Now, when you're at home, typically you take off your shoes. That's one of the things. You get off of work, you take off your shoes. Ah, now you're at home. Time to go out of home, leave your house, you put on your shoes. Why? Like, what does that say? What are you telling yourself over and over every day? What are you training your mind, your perception to, to think about the world? One of the things that 
I think of is what do shoes do? What is the purpose of a shoe? It's to protect us. What do we need protection from? What sorts of things would you want to be protected from? Dangerous things. So if you routinely put on your shoes every time you leave the house, especially if every time you go out in your yard, you go outside, what are you telling yourself over and over? To me, what you're telling yourself is that you need protection from the dangerous earth. This is brainwashing. This is a brainwashing that has gotten so deep in our culture and our mind that we don't even need somebody to really like push us much to do this anymore. We've adopted it. We brainwash ourselves with this routine. The earth is not a dangerous place. Most places I've gone, you can walk barefoot, and it is a big benefit. I mean, there's all these studies done now about the benefits of walking barefoot, how your feet like know how to hug the earth, and it, your posture changes. Um, you know, and that's not even getting into the earth thing we were just talking about. This energy that has some effect on your body that they're still studying. Um, so that's a big reason why I go barefoot. Like I said, when I was a kid, I just went barefoot because it felt good, because I could. And most kids do. You know, if you don't tell them to put shoes on, kids just instinctively know, I want to go running around barefoot. They got to be told, taught to be scared of the earth before they, like, cling to these shoes, most kids. Um, so enacting that philosophy, I think, is really important. When I take off my shoes and I go outside, I start changing what I'm telling myself. And I'm not talking about talking to myself like something so, so obvious, so clear-cut. I'm talking about the way I'm relating to the world, my relationship with the world. I start treating it like it's my home. This is a place I feel as relaxed in as my living room. And I've dealt with a lot of anxiety. I still deal, deal with anxiety. I feel calmer when I'm barefoot, even though more people actually are looking at me, oddly enough, because it's unusual. Here's this barefoot guy. But still, I feel like I'm in my home. I'm calmer. I'm slower. It just it changes my whole philosophy, my whole way of like relating to the world. I think of it as I want to strengthen the idea that the earth is alive. I want to remember that. It changes everything I do. It changes my goals. It changes what I care about. It changes my whole life. And if I'm around somebody I love, do I want to always have a glove on my hand when I touch them? Or do I want to feel my skin against their skin? And that's what I'm after with going barefoot. I want to touch the earth with my bare feet. Um, and Teresa, what would you say? I know like when we go barefoot, we talk a lot about this when we're having conversations. How does that affect your, your mood, your philosophy? What have you noticed about your, the story you enact, the philosophy you enact when you take off your shoes? Hmm. Well, I was walking barefoot and just kind of taking it all in, all my senses and feeling the earth under me. And I got this message that was kind of saying, um, if you take care of the earth, the earth will take care of you. And the way I interpreted that in the moment was if I'm walking softly on the earth and I'm doing my best to honor and respect where I am, the stone people, the, the tree tribe, all of that, then they'll take care of me. And it feels more like my home, as Gumby had mentioned and alluded to. So I really liked that when when I'm aware and I'm walking softly on the earth, the earth is my friend. The earth takes care of me. When I'm just, you know, stomping along, not paying attention, that's when 
the earth is like, well, obviously we're, we're not kin. Obviously you're on your own path and good, lots of luck to that. Yeah. I, I read a book, um, a while back. I can't remember the title of this book, but one of the things they were sharing like, um, firsthand experiences of first contact between like the French, the English colonies and the native Americans. And every now and then a white person would get inducted. Well, I shouldn't say every now and then this actually happened quite a bit into a tribe. And, um, I think maybe it was the Algonquin tribe, one of the tribes around what's now New England. If you join this tribe, one of the rites of passage is they'd have you sit in a river. Sometimes in the winter, you'd have to break the ice up to your neck, and you'd have to sit there until the elder that was with you said it was okay, that you could come out. And then you couldn't come around the fire until you had air dried. Now, from our culture, that sounds torturous. That sounds horrible. But I think about what they were trying to teach. This is a people that didn't wear big, thick shoes or big, thick of anything unless they absolutely needed it. They wanted to expose their skin. They wanted to be vulnerable. They didn't invent sunglasses. They didn't wear big, thick mittens and gloves, you know, except in the coldest weather as need demanded. So they're training this soft white person who wears this heavy, these heavy clothes, this heavy shoes. Trust the earth. The cold is not your enemy. You can take the cold. You can actually let the cold in and it can become something else. And if you can do that with something as hard to relate to as cold, think about what that does to everything else. You know, think about how much the earth becomes your home when you can sit in a river, a freezing cold river, and it not be torture. That is just another sensation. That to me is part of like when I go barefoot, I also don't like wearing sunglasses. Um, I feel like it's cutting me off from the, the world around me. I'll wear sunglasses every now and then if I absolutely have to, but I mean, it's extremely rare. I don't like wearing gloves. I got to cut the fingers off my gloves. I got to feel things. Um, I feel like once you start going barefoot, a lot of these things start translating. Like you want to touch the earth. You want to see the earth. You want to hear the earth. You want to feel the earth more in every way. And I think that's a really healthy thing. I actually read a study. I think it was posted in the John Zerzan fan club on Facebook, one of those Facebook pages, that um, there are possible bad side effects to wearing sunglasses. If you wear sunglasses all the time, it screws with your brain. Your brain doesn't react the way it's supposed to to the amount of daylight that you're actually receiving. Um, And hell, we're reading in Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan, that one of the ways the warriors, like, store up energy is to like have the sun sunlight come in their left eye you know not stare at it where they're blind but just to allow it in so going barefoot i feel like it's just another form of this opening yourself letting the world in it's your home and if you treat it like it's not your home you put on your heavy boots your heavy clothes you go out there you cut down your trees to make money you do whatever you got to do they're just resources to be used no freaking wonder the world looks the way it is That's not the world that you want to live in when you think about it. You're just blindly stumbling along. Um, I'd add the the sensory awareness, you know, like just the same way as taking off your gloves adds a whole another depth to your sense of, of touch. Try walking in the woods really slowly with your feet, your, your feet off, your shoes off. Um, not only are you hearing more, you're seeing more, you're smelling more, it enhances all your senses. For one thing, it slows you down. Um, and that's a good thing. 
you walk slower. You tend to walk slower barefoot, though when you get practice, you can walk pretty damn quick barefoot. But a nice slow walk with your bare feet touching the earth, you pick up so much more information about where you're going. I can notice little nuances. Like I'll walk on a gravel road. I can tell if it's traveled or not, if a person lives on that gravel road by the gravel. Um, if it's all sticking up a certain way and pointy and hard to work on, walk on, I know that nobody's been there for a while. If it's kind of laid flatter, I know there's been a car there recently. I don't pick up on that stuff when I, when I have my shoes on. I can, even blindfolded, walk a trail because I can feel the padded ground as opposed to the fluffy ground of being off the trail and the, the sound, the different sounds it makes. And of course, that's true whether you have shoes on or not. Um, but just allowing more information. I love that I can feel the, the wetness of the ground and know like I might be getting near water. And because the ground's wet, what plants might be around? Um, God, it's just such a doorway to perception. Um, and again, you know, tying back to this, you know, all the nerves in your foot, a foot rub, like it is such a sensual thing. Um, when you give somebody a foot rub, it's a very sexy thing. And then again, going back to the foot fetishist, I, I get it more and more now how that is, you know, an important part of our, our sensual relationship with each other. You look like you had something to say, Teresa. I was just laughing because I feel like every time a big truck goes by, you're talking about something, something and it's like a sensory. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get bleep in the butt. Oh, blah, blah. <laughs> All right, Teresa. Okay, so um, when when you walk barefoot, like Gumby was saying, you start to notice a lot of different things about your environment. And having walked, oh, I'd say, well, at least 80-something miles, but um, that's of a trail in North Carolina on the beach, we started to notice differences, subtle differences in just this, the quality of and characteristics of the sand on the beach. So as we were hiking with our backpacks on the beach, the ocean was on the left, the dunes were on the right, but there was this sweet spot that we would hunt continuously throughout the day because that sweet spot was like the fast traveling sand where you could walk pretty quickly. A little bit too far to the dunes, you were sinking in and it was just like trudging along with your backpack. A little too close to the water, you might sink and again, it slows you down. So walking barefoot on the beach, I mean, duh, that's what most people do. But you also start to notice like at least two or three different types of sand um, just immediately. And then there's other nuances to it as well, just like the finer grains or whether it's hot or cold sand because of the sun on it. Um, God, like when, yeah, like Gumby was saying about gravel, there's some gravel I don't mind at all. And then there's some that's really sharp. And I don't know, it just, <laughs> it slows you down, which is okay. I mean, if your feet are telling you I need to take it slow, then that's what you do. You just slow down. Um, something else that, we both have experienced is on hot summer days, especially if you're walking with shoes on and you probably have socks on too, it's just so much hotter and your feet are sweating and it's just, ugh. but once you take those socks and shoes off, even flip flops, you start to cool down. And it's that little bit of coolness on the surface of the ground that I don't know. It just like is soaked up 
by your feet, by your bare feet. Something else that I feel is a good lesson for walking barefoot and also maybe uh, something that can influence you to try it is it can be much easier to walk, especially on trails when there's mud and water. I know I used to hike a lot and I used to have my hiking boots and I loved those hiking boots, but man, I'll tell you, just avoiding all the different muddy places or water crossings, um, I would turn around at times because I just felt like, oh, it's an impassable trail. But when you're barefoot, who cares? Like if you walk through water, you're washing your feet off. If you walk through mud, you can feel the coolness. Like some people pay to go have a mud bath and, you know, have that on their feet. So we get to have it for free by walking barefoot. Um, something else that's another practical reason to walk barefoot. We found this out. Well, Gumby probably knew it before I did, but... A lot of times when you're walking in the woods, and especially during tick season, they'll tell you, um, the, the powers that be, will suggest that you wear shoes, socks, and that you tuck your pant legs, your long pants, into your socks. And I've even seen people that are going out into the deep woods to do like trail work or something. I've seen them duct tape their pants and their socks so like right where they meet, so that you keep ticks off of you. And they still get ticks. So walking barefoot, something that we've realized is you can see the ticks crawling up your legs, and then you just, like, you know, quiet and, and quick as can be, you just take the tick off your leg and you flick it or whatever off of you. And you don't have to worry about not seeing it until it's bitten in because you can feel it crawling up your bare foot and your leg. Uh, so that's another good reason to try walking barefoot, especially if you live in a place where there's a lot of ticks. Um, but something, you know, that I, I wanted to make sure was on the list was we're, we're painting a beautiful picture about walking barefoot. But there are hazards, and that's where you have to be aware and mindful and slow down. And there's this uh, kind of, I don't know, hippie-type term, earth time, um, just walking in earth time, like slowing down to the speed of the earth. But it really does help when you're walking barefoot. Oh my goodness. To slow down. <laughs> so when you're encountering the ground and you're feeling like, man, I cannot walk fast over this. Don't worry about it then. Walk slow. That's what the ground is telling you to do. And that's walking in earth time. Um, gosh, yeah, there's been times where uh, I thought that I was quote unquote safe uh, walking barefoot and I was unaware of a shard of glass or like Gumby and I were walking around um, off of the beach but near the coastline and there were some little cactus plants and we had to quickly put our shoes on just to make sure that we weren't getting cactus needles. But again, that's being aware of your surroundings. Um, and you can learn to appreciate that too, especially learn to appreciate when you do wear shoes versus not wearing them because it's, it's just it's so stifling hot with shoes on. Um, yeah, shoes giving a false sense of security too. Well, I want to testify to that temperature thing. I tend to overheat. That's one of my things that I deal with. The reason why we're in Maine right now in August uh, to get away from the heat in North Carolina. And there are times, like, if I had to wear shoes at camp, that's another reason I go barefoot. I would just be so freaking miserable. It's already hot. So the dispersal of heat by going barefoot makes a big difference. 
Yeah, and I don't want to have to wash, like, stinky socks. I mean, for myself. I don't want to have to wash socks all the time. I think it's ridiculous. Just go barefoot, especially in the summertime. Oh, and another thing in lieu of stinky socks. Um, <laughs> bare feet don't stink unless you just stepped in dog shit. Um, you know, that that whole idea of like, oh, foot odor. That's because you're cramming your foot into a sweaty sock inside of a plastic or rubber shoe. And the bacteria builds up, so your feet stink. There are these, like, fish-white, wrinkled, smelly things. They're, they're nasty, and people get embarrassed about their feet because of this. You start going barefoot, um, your feet, you know, take on this nice, like, tan look. Some of it's dirt. It's not actually tan, but <laughs> it looks nice, and it doesn't smell bad. You know, I've, <laughs> I've stuck my feet in kids' faces before when they said stuff like this. I'm like, smell my foot! Mm. And they have to admit, like, oh. Wow, it it doesn't stink. Of course, maybe I just scared them, but I don't think it stinks. <laughs> your feet are constantly getting exfoliated, mm-hmm. um, so you're also, and you're also building up um, more of a tougher skin on the bottom of your foot. So even if you're, you know, really keenly aware, but maybe it's dark and you happen to get, you know, you step on something. More often than not, I'm not saying it's you know perfect, but more often than not you're not going to get as hurt as someone that is constantly wearing shoes because your the skin of your foot is a little tougher now that you've been walking barefoot. But there is a point where, like, yeah, you might have a little bit of scaliness on your foot at first as you start to transition um, walking barefoot more, but I'm just feeling my foot right now. My foot does not feel, like, scaly or nasty. It's actually, like, tough and smooth, and I... I like that. That that means something to me. It means a very positive thing. And let's see. Gumby, do you want to add anything to that? Well, um, you've talked about all that you want to? I did, yeah. Yeah, so in lieu of hazards, I mean, we're not saying that there's never a time for shoes. Um, one time, one place that I will definitely put shoes on is around hawthorn trees, if I'm in a hawthorn grove. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't have enough respect for the hawthorn trees one time, and I got a hawthorn thorn stuck in my foot and this thing has little barbs on it like it's not just like a blackberry thorn which can hurt like hell this hawthorn is huge and it sticks in there and it's got little barbs on the end of the thorn so it's like a fish hook it's hard as hell to get out it was such excruciating pain that if i see hawthorn trees i'm putting on some kind of shoe (laughs) um i've stepped on nails before but (laughs) ironically this last summer we're doing summer camp i stepped on a nail it was kind of a rusty nail and i was worried about it for a while but that was one of the few times i had on shoes it went right through the shoe um false sense of security yeah so shoes will give you a false sense of security sometimes i've led backpacking trips and there'll been a, a kid or two that goes barefoot and everybody else has shoes on I'll see at least as many, often more, of the kids that have shoes on get hurt. And I think it's because that shoe makes you clumsy and it gives you a false sense of security. You think that you're protected because you have this big shoe on, but you're not paying attention. If you're barefoot, you know you're vulnerable, and so you're invested in paying attention. You know what you're walking on. You pay attention to where your next step goes because you're barefoot. You're in the real world where your actions have consequences. Again, enacting a philosophy, you put on that shoe, suddenly you have this illusion that you're protected. Your actions don't have the same consequences. you got this big old mud grip boot. You walk anywhere. And over and over, I've seen that's a person that, that twists an ankle or falls over or does not pay as much attention. So I like being invested. I like being more vulnerable because being more vulnerable translates to me paying more attention, which often translates to me actually being safer. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I was yeah. just going to add something real quick. When we do go on group walks or hikes, it'll, it will be the people with their big hiking boots that are often tripping over roots of trees and they're not paying attention. And I've even like had this thought in my mind that when I wear shoes, it's like I'm wearing blinders in the world and I'm not picking up, like Gumby's saying, like I'm not aware of my environment once again. So now when I wear shoes, I kind of feel like I'm stifled. I'm missing out on that sensory awareness. Yeah. Another place I wear shoes is where there's cactuses. Like when we were at the beach, I've had a bad run in, not paying attention to where the cactuses are before. And that, uh, that's a bad time when you're barefoot. Um, there's holly leaves. Anybody who goes barefoot for any amount of time, at least in this part of the country, has run into the holly tree. I don't worry too much about that. I just kind of suck it up and like, oh, ooh, oh, ooh, mm, mm, get through the holly. But um, back to that sensory awareness, that's another thing I like about being barefoot. Without even looking up, but being blindfolded. I know something about the trees that are around me when I step on a holly leaf. And so even though it hurts, I appreciate that. Because if I extend my knowledge ecologically... Maybe I can make some educated guesses about the whole environment around me, even blindfolded because I ran into the holly tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just I don't want to cut myself off from that. And one thing about holly leaves that I'm still experimenting with, but if you're walking barefoot, maybe you could try this, too, and write to me and let me know how what your thoughts are on it. When I walk around holly leaves, I am starting to walk on the ball of my foot if I can, if it's not a, a horrible, like, downhill slope. Um, So I lift up my heels in that relatively sensitive part of the middle of my foot, the arch. And so I'm just walking on the balls of my foot, uh, feet. And that actually seems to help. If I do encounter a holly leaf, it it doesn't hurt as much or I'm just able to walk a little faster around them if I need to. Um, But yeah, other than that, the holly leaves have also, again, taught me to slow down. Let's see if I can make a smooth segue here. I'll say, uh, you know, of course, there's hidden things in the leaves sometimes, like a little rusty piece of metal from old farm equipment or something like that you got to be careful of. Um, another hazard, which is a light hazard, is when your feet get wet, they get more sensitive. Mm-hmm. So do be mindful of that. If there's, like, gravel that you could otherwise walk on um, and then you walk through a puddle, that might be make it harder. Just be mindful of wet weather. Your feet are going to be more sensitive. Hmm. And then an interesting thing that happens to barefoot people, your feet start spreading out. You will find that the more you go barefoot, the harder it is actually to fit in shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, Shoes squeeze your feet into these narrow little pads, these narrow little shapes. But when your foot is allowed to become what it's meant to be, connected to the earth, it spreads out. Your toes spread out. I just really like that. I like having a wide foot. I've seen that with uh, kids that I've seen grow up and go barefoot all the time. They get these really wide feet, and I think they're beautiful feet. They're like these hobbit feet minus, you know, all the hair. Well, depending on who you are, maybe you've got that hair. (laughs) Um, But that's beside the point. So a big part of going barefoot, you know, people often say when they see them going barefoot, wow, you must have tough feet. And that's partly true. I'd say 50% of it is building up calluses, getting tough feet. The other 50% that a lot of people miss when they say that is it's technique. It's how you walk. Teresa already alluded to a lot of this, like... Um, center of gravity. Yeah, the center of gravity in your hips as opposed to your head. Most of us are taught... Shoes teach us this, to kind of chase your head around. And our schedules teach us this, to, um, you know, 
Oh, do you want to go ahead and talk no, about no, that? You, that? I was just pointing to it so you could talk about it. Yeah, well, I've heard it called the city shuffle. I think I got that from Tom Brown's Tracking Nature and Wilderness Survival School. But they describe it as like you chase your head around. You're you're way off balance. You're overcommitted. If you, if you if your foot hits something, you're already going over with it. You trip. You hurt yourself. If you slow down and put your center of gravity in your hips, and once again, once you get practice with this, you can also move fast like this. But it's better to move slow if you don't have a good reason to. You 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 sense more. Life is not about the destination. This is another part of that philosophy we're enacting. We're always trying to get somewhere. Like when we get there, oh, that'll be great. But then what happens when we get there? We got to go someplace else, mm-hmm. and we're already late. Damn it, we got to move. You know, honk at this person in front of us. They're slowing us down. Mm-hmm. Being barefoot, I feel like, is an invitation to move slower. I can move fast, but why? It's the journey. Life is the whole, your whole life is a journey. It's not a destination. Enjoy it. Enjoy the trip. Enjoy the walk. Savor it. And being barefoot makes that a lot more easy. Um, Putting that center of gravity in your hips allows you to move smoothly. You can have good posture. You can look around more. Your feet, you're not overcommitted. So if you feel something you don't want to step on, you can change your step, lift up your foot, put your foot in another place. Um... When I was doing a lot more Buddhist meditation, especially in uh, Buddhist temples, they would have us do a meditation walk often after the sit. And I love that. It reminded me of the fox walking I had learned before, just really slowly walking. It's not trying to get anywhere. It's just the act of walking. And it is so relaxing. And you couple that with what um, I've heard called owl eyes or wide-angle vision, just a soft gaze where you really tune into your peripheral vision. Um Man, you put those two things together and you really sink down into a really relaxed state of mind. It's beautiful. Oh, let me add something to that wide-angle vision. Uh, before I met Gumby, I went to this rolfing specialist person. It's kind of like a weird massage. Sounds like vomiting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it kind of makes you feel like you want to vomit. But anyway, um, I was talking to him about some pains I had in my body and asking, like, how can I strengthen my body? And so he took me outside and he said, it's kind of difficult to do in this parking lot because there are a lot of trees around. But if you can find a place that has a a broad view, like you can look far out into the distance, first take your hands and put them like to the the sides of your eyes. I'm actually doing it right now. Gumby's probably laughing at me. and just look straight ahead. And that's kind of your narrow vision. Now, feel how your body is is holding itself. Okay, once you feel that, take your hands away and start to soften your gaze so that your peripheral vision is, is looking out more to the sides. You're seeing a wider angle. And when I did that, my body actually moved backwards. It's like the center of gravity was forward at first, when I was focused narrowly in front of me, when I got the bigger picture, it was almost like it knocked me back. Like, whoa, that's a lot of world right there. But that was exactly the posture that I needed for what Gumby's describing as a fox walk. Mm-hmm. And I want to move on to uh, animals. Like when we're learning how to walk, the technique, that 50% of how to walk barefoot effectively that's not just building up calluses. Animals are really great teachers, and a lot of these things I'm about to talk about I got from Tom Brown's Tracking Nature and Wilderness Survival School, or I got from John Young and his Wilderness Awareness School in Duval, Washington. Um, The first thing I think I learned was what they call the fox walk. Teresa mentioned earth time. Um, Earth time, to me, I learned at the same time I learned the fox walk, so I relate the two. The fox walk is 
you're standing still, you've got that center of gravity in your hips, you move one foot forward on the outside edge, the whole outside of your foot. One, step one. Step two, you slowly roll your foot till it's flat on the ground. Step three is now you apply weight. I've been told that's basically earth time. It's a three second step. One, two, three. One step, two step, one, two, three. That's earth time, and I've been told that is the ideal speed to move unless you have a reason to move faster. And try that, just moving at that speed, even if you have shoes on moving at that speed, it puts you in a meditative state of mind and so much more when you're barefoot. So the fox, um, I know from tracking that the fox is a really effective walker. The fox is in the dog family, and the dogs are pretty neat walkers, especially wild dogs. Um, They have an indirect register, which means their back foot falls slightly behind, or if they're moving faster, slightly in front of their front foot. The fox will, more often than the other dogs, have a direct register, like a cat. Now, a cat is a super neat walker. So I think the fox is favored for this walk because it's not just its natural, like, cat family walk. It's like a dog who is, like, practiced walking. (laughs) You know, that's the way I think of it anyway. So... It's a very neat, straight, deliberate walk. And that, what I just described, one, two, three, those three steps are the fox walk. Dog form, um, bending your knees a little bit. Try this and kind of putting um, more of your weight in the front of your foot, not the heel. Um, think about the way a dog walks. Like if you look at a dog's foot, what we call a dog's foot is actually its toes and the pads of the front of the foot, the heel never touches the ground. It's stretched out. And when you look at its knees, a dog's leg is bent. It's always like, you don't, you rarely ever see a dog's leg straight. It's always bent a little bit. Now think about how invested they are in being fast. They're fast runners. That leg is kind of spring loaded. So dog form, try walking with that upright posture as if I've heard, like, pretend like you're balancing a plate on top of your head, or maybe even really try to balance a plate on top of your head. Mm center of gravity in your your hips, roll your butt forward a little bit so your knees are bent, and walk not on your tippy toes, but just more on the front of your feet. See what that does. I've heard that's one of the secrets of these indigenous people of the Southwest that were phenomenal runners. They could run for days. Um, I've heard they were even used in the the early days of the postal service sometimes as couriers. You know, when you had a message, um, these people were said to become the message. You know, they would not just run to carry the message. They embodied the message, and they ran for days and days and days and days, and they would go and to wherever they needed to. And it was said that they had, you know, something like that dog form I'm describing, that those bent knees. I've even heard of this water ritual that they would have in the desert to honor the water of the earth where they'd have a mouthful of water and run and run and run. At the end, when they're so thirsty, they would spit out the water and give it to the earth as an offering Mm. because that was meaningful water. That's water they dearly wanted, but instead they would give thanks. Um, I've always loved that. That sounds so beautiful. Um, As far as stalking goes, now the dog form, the fox walk, there's just ways of walking. When you really want to slow down, um, I've heard this called the weasel walk, where you have your legs bent, as I described before, with the dog form, knees bent, kind of towards the front of your foot is where you're putting your weight on the ground. Put your hands on your knees where you're bent down a little bit. That's a great way to stalk, to move quietly through the woods. If you see an animal, or practice on your your dog or your cat even, see if you can get close to them without being noticed. Um, 
and the wide-angle vision. I've heard tunnel vision really freaks out animals when you look directly at an animal mm-hmm. as if you're reading a book. Um, you can feel when somebody's looking at you like that. And I heard somebody describe it one time as you're isolating that thing from the landscape, which is an unnatural state. They feel that. They feel the discordance because we're actually all connected to our environments. But if you use that wide-angle vision, that soft gaze, and just see them as part of a bigger picture and don't look directly at them, um, you'll have a tendency to spook them less. Mm, I just wanted to add real quick. I've noticed, especially this summer, um, we've been living in the minivan, and I don't know if it's just like we smell more like the environment because we're bathing in rivers and whatnot, but I also noticed that when we're barefoot, we have more encounters with animals, whether it's getting closer to a bird or, I mean, one day Gumby actually had a black snake um, crawl up his body, like, very calmly. And it it's like the animals, they know that you're with, like, you're with them, you're on their side or something. You're not separate when you're barefoot. So... I mean, it just reminded me of that when you were talking about stalking. It's not necessarily something you have to do when you're hunting or trying to, you know, harm an animal. It can also be a technique to move closer to animals so that they understand, oh, this person's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd pay attention to that intent, too. Um, animals can often tell a hunter from someone who just wants to be closer to the earth. So, yeah, think about what you're trying to accomplish. And one more animal, great blue heron. Uh, moving in water is a whole different school of barefoot um but anytime you can think of an animal that does it really well you know see what you can learn from that animal the great blue heron is a master of of moving quietly through the water um big part of that is their toes usually don't come out of the water so they don't make a drip Mm. which creates a disturbance so you lift your leg and maybe the toes go almost out of the water but not quite so you're you're not making these drips less disturbance the more you can move through the landscape and not disturb it um (laughs) there's just endless benefits, um, both for you and everything around you doing that. Um, So with all these techniques of going barefoot and how to walk... There's a great blue heron right there. That's our dog barking at a great blue heron right now, (laughs) flying down the river behind us. Um, There's a saying that I think is attributed to the Hopi and... It is basically, it says, let each footstep be a blessing upon the earth. Now, when I walk, when I take off my shoes and I imagine how much I love the earth, how much it gives to me, um, and I walk like that, it's naturally a fox walk. So that's another way, like if all this like technique of like steps, one, two, what the hell are you talking about? I just want to go barefoot. Try just letting each footstep be a blessing upon the earth and see what that does to your mind. See what that does to your feet. Um, I actually prefer that now. The fox walk got me started, all the steps. Now that each footstep being a blessing upon the earth, remember that my ancestors are buried here. If you've lost anybody that has passed, um, an elder, remember that they've returned to this earth. This is now their home. They're a part of this earth. And the children that are, have yet to come, they're going to come from this earth. You know, you might say, well, they come from a woman's body, but where does the nourishment, where does the biomass come from that creates this child? It's from the earth it's from the plants it's from the animals it's from the water it's from everything that's part of the earth so think about that as you're walking to me that's what it means to make each footstep a blessing upon the earth you want to have a positive impact you want to touch this beloved earth and you want it to touch you um and yeah that just really affects the way i walk and 
as we're ending this podcast, I would just add that once you start walking barefoot and you fall in love with it, you tend to get frustrated sometimes because there's places you go that says you have to wear shoes. Um, I've, I've had kids try to fight this battle, and you don't tend to win that battle. Um, businesses will try to act like it's a federal law, like they have to comply with that. In most places, it's not. I don't know if any place it is. You can drive most places barefoot. That's not a law. You can walk on the sidewalks outside everywhere barefoot. That's not a law. Um, and when a business itself chooses to ask you to wear shoes, that's their decision. They don't want to be liable if you hurt yourself. Um, I was taught all this crap about athlete's foot and everything, and it's just horrible to walk in a, a business or a public place barefoot. I've learned that's like so many hazards is blown up and to ends to sell shoes to um, not to my benefit. That's what these lies are, are. They are not told to benefit me. So check out those laws and maybe educate some people, some businesses. And if they want to kick you out for going barefoot, I mean, put on your shoes, you know, like just go in there, put on your flip-flops. Make, on, make some wadaji. Yeah, make some wadaji, like <laughs> puzzle them a little bit. Um, but, yeah, look into the laws, just like we talked about dumpster diving. A lot of the laws, um, the way people will set them up is to act like it's somebody else. It's not me. I'm just doing what I have to do. And that's a technique used for by banks, by phone companies, by so many things in this culture to pass the buck. Um, and eventually you get so tired of trying to track down who you got a question that you just give up. So I don't know. Just consider that. The laws are not what they seem. Um, anything you want to add before we go out, Teresa? Um, I guess my one thing that I didn't get to say, but I think it was implied, was um, bare feet. It's awesome. Um, it doesn't just make your feet stronger. It makes your ankles stronger, which can make your knees and your joints, your hips, and your back feel better. Um, it's not a, a cure-all, like some would say, but it could be something to try and um, just see for yourself. Yeah, and as we're escaping society, you know, this is one more thing. You know, once civilization collapses, Nike's going with it. So, uh, <laughs> you know, knowing how to be with your feet, you know, and when to need shoes and mm -hmm. how to make those shoes. And, you know, this may seem like kind of a, what the hell is a escaping society talking about going barefoot for? It's all related. And every day you're walking on these feet. Every day you're wearing these shoes. So think about that. It all comes together. It all creates a bigger picture. Um, if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can go to our website to contact us. That is Escaping Society, all one word, lowercase, dot Weebly, B as in Bilbo Baggins bought Betty Boop's Big Burly Beaver Brownies before <laughs> bemoaning Bob Barker's belligerent breakfast buns, beautifully brought by bellowing bundled birch bugs, dot com. I don't even know what you just said. Oh, I'm sure they got all that. Yeah. So, yeah, we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks.